welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan and Denny. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. Good to be back. What, it's been a couple of weeks now? It has been a couple of weeks. I've been moving, and uh, everybody's just been super hectic. You'd think the summer would slow down for academics, and yet uh, <laughs> it does not. <laughs> and uh, we have we have a very special guest, and actually Danny was the one who uh, connected us with this guest. Today we're going to be interviewing Julie Gunnigal, who is running for the Maricopa County Attorney's Office in Arizona. Welcome. Oh my goodness. Thank you both so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. So good to have you, Julie. Thank you for saying yes. Um, (laughs) It made my day. So good to be here. I mean, obviously, right? I I think Danny's a fan. (laughs) For those who are listening to the audio on the portion, it is is all decked out in the background with Gunnigal for county attorney. I love it. I feel feel like I'm underrepresented. That's all right. That's all right. A, we can fix that, and B, it's mutual. If Danny had swag, I would have it all over my own. <laughs> Danny, we got to get you some swag. <laughs> I think so, too. I need swag. You do need, yep, <laughs> your TikTok channel. Uh, and, uh, Julie, you were mentioning before we went live that you you were door knocking before this, weren't you, like just, just a couple of minutes ago? Yeah, so I spent the morning um, door knocking in South Phoenix, having conversations with voters and talking about the importance of the county attorney's office. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness, there is no there's no polling in the world that gets you the same results as having face to face conversations with people. So it was it was some powerful stuff that I heard today. Uh, what? Let's start with this then. What was like the big things that you heard from the people you were canvassing today? Like what 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 were some things that caught your attention? Yeah, I mean, there's three big things stood out to me today. First, as I was knocking doors, you know, we get this program called minivan on our phones, and that has all the registered voters. But about half of the doors that I encountered today had folks behind it who were unregistered. And I always try to be sensitive to how I ask that question. But it was primarily people who were no longer eligible to participate in our political system because of prior involvement with the criminal legal system. Mm -hmm. The amount of disenfranchisement that we have by virtue of the fact that our state is the fifth largest incarcerator in the country and the eighth largest in the world. We have canceled out so many voters who care deeply about these issues and just mm-hmm. can't participate. Wow. So we talked to them about that. We talked to uh, to voters about the corruption in the system and the legacy of the county attorney's office and how it provides unequal justice. How, you know, the rich, the wealthy, the powerful, and police have a different standard of justice than everybody else. And then we talked about what it gets, what it means to get at the root cause of public safety issues and how we could have a system that is so much more just and that keeps them safer and that saves them money and that invests in their public schools and not their private prisons. And wow, did that resonate. Hmm. I think yeah. earmark that. Don't don't let me forget. I, w- I want to revisit that later, but I want to start with the basics. What, what does the county's attorney office do? Um, I don't know that myself or a lot of people are quite familiar with like all that that office can handle and what they can do. So what, what would you say is kind of its main goal and what are some, some duties that they have? That is such a good question because this is the most powerful office that nobody has ever heard of. So in any other jurisdiction, you call this office like your DA's office or your state's attorney's office. Here we call it our county attorney's office. And that means that this is the prosecutor in chief for the fourth largest county in the country. This makes it the third largest prosecutor's office in the country. And it really is an opportunity to lead. But instead, we've had a county attorney that's kind of followed this tough on crime nonsense that that drives mass incarceration, that drives um, some of the more unfair policies that we have. But this is the person who prosecutes all the felonies inside our entire county, all of the misdemeanors in our unincorporated areas. And then also oversees a giant civil division that advises 40 plus different county agencies. So this is a just I don't think there's a, a, a word for how powerful this this office is and could be, because this is the office. If we get someone in there who's invested in reform, we wouldn't need to wait for the state legislature to get their act together on so many criminal legal system reforms. These are things that can originate with your prosecutor's office, too. Hmm. So my understanding then is is you're the equivalent of what a lot of other states would call the DA then. And and so the DA is the one who then, you, I mean, really, you would get to decide what cases you follow up on, you prosecute or not. So you, you really get to kind of take the driver's seat in that then. That's exactly right, Ryan. And it's like, 
absolute untold discretion. So your your county attorney is the one who could say, hey, you know, we're going to get serious about, I, I don't know, sexual assault in our county and actually make sure that it's prosecuted because I think we'll circle back to this later. That is the least prosecuted crime mm-hmm. in our entire county and least followed up on offense when it comes to arrests and, and clearances. Um, this is also the office that can say uh, things like, hey, you know, we're not going to use this office anymore to ask for very long prison sentences on nonviolent offenses and drug offenses. This could be the office that says, you know, all of these drug related crimes, we realize that they need to be in treatment and that that is never going to be provided by the Department of Corrections. Let's fix that. Mm. And those are all things that are within the county attorney's discretion. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, we're, we're talking about midterms coming up. Everybody shows up for the presidential election if they're going to show up for anything, right? And I'm, I, I've mentioned in the past, and we've had some more local, um, I, I guess this is technically politics based, but like your local politicians are really the ones who you're going to brush with the most, and nobody nobody cares as much, or at least in my, in, from what I've encountered, it seems that people tend to care a lot less about the things which ironically are gonna impact them the most, especially with what you've just described as far as, you know, they'll get to choose, do we go after you, do we not, what do we go after, who do we go after? Yeah, so that's exactly right. The thing with Julie that I just adore is, um, I met her back when they, the old county attorney refiled a four-year-old case again. I was looking at 10 to 15 years in prison. You know, after I had turned my life around, I was sitting in my senior year at ASU when I got word of it being refiled and looking at 10 to 15 years in prison. Um, never once did I say I did not deserve to be punished. However, 10 to 15 years after turning my life around, giving back to the community and working for a state representative, um, you know, I. I was kicking ass and taking names. And when I met, look, I have chills. When I met her, she had no idea who I was. Um, you know, she had heard my story. I'm, and uh, I still remember this resonates with me so well is I was so, I had off days to where I was just bawling. Like my life is over 10 to 15 years. You know, I was even thinking of ways to get ricin to take in this court. You know, that's where my head was at that time. Like I didn't want to be here. And uh, the uh, attorney that I was working with had called Julie and Julie came over to my house and just sat with me while I, you know, just as a human, as a friend, as a human, you know, and oh, chills again. And then, you know, last year when they did the marijuana, uh, make, made it legal or whatever, this woman traveled all over Arizona on her own dime and filed for rights to be restored uh, for these disenfranchised voters that she was just speaking of. God dang chills. Uh, <laughs> and uh, traveled all around Arizona, re- like filing for restoration of these people's rights. I mean, she's walking the walk and talking the talk. This is what I wanna see. And this is the reason why I changed my voters registration is because of this woman right here. I have been a straight down Republican my entire adult life. And when I met Julie, I'm like, wow, okay. I get it. Switch to no party. And um, it's obvious, like, I have her back 100. So thanks, Julie. I think you're going to do a great job when you get there. I can't wait. And I am so delighted to have you on my team. Yay. <laughs> I, I think Very that this fun. captures, like, well, one, one of the driving forces behind this show was let's talk about the actual politics. Let's talk about the actual candidates. Let's talk about what's going on instead of just I'm affiliated with X, affiliated with Y, um, and have those discussions. And I think that, you know, that really captures the nuance because Danny had mentioned before, uh, on I think it was probably the first time we had her on, that there was someone who she was willing to switch her ticket for. Now, here here we are. Uh, but I'm curious, Julie, what, what got you into politics? Like, how long ago did you start? What got you in there? Was there any inspiration for that? Yeah, so I mean, I've always been civically involved, um, but what encouraged me to actually take that next step and to run for office was actually my child. So I'm the mom of three school-age kids, all are in our public schools, but my oldest is both profoundly gifted and on the autism spectrum. And before first grade, he was expelled or politely asked to leave nine different schools. Wow. Yeah. 
And they're just, it's heartbreaking when you're at your neighborhood public school and they tell you, we can't serve your kiddo. He's too much of an outlier. And it was shocking to me because I was born and raised here and my kids are literally going to the same neighborhood school that I went to. Mm. So when I, when I heard that, I started getting involved and started going down to the Capitol saying, hey, you know what? Our children deserve better. And then I learned exactly what she said at the top of the show, that it's not those jokers out in Washington that are controlling our lives. It's largely our local politicians that have the most power over us. And that's where I saw the opportunity for change. So I ran in, in 2020 because my background is, is actually that of a prosecutor. I started in a small county in Elkhart, Indiana, and then prosecuted politicians in Cook County, Illinois. I prosecuted Democrats, Republicans, and independents when they were stealing public funds. And I got so frustrated watching kind of the conflict of interest cycle happening in our yeah. in our government. So I am not here to pitch you as vote for Julie. She's a Democrat, by the way, ever. Because I don't think either party has moral authority when it comes to our criminal legal system. It's the positions that I'm advocating for, are, you know, common sense, evidence-based reforms that are good both keep us safe and save us money. Um, but they're not necessarily Democratic things or Republican things. They're things that exist in this this other realm of public policy and truth and justice. Mm. And that's another reason why I continue to say um, county attorney and sheriff should not be a red or blue fight, period. Right. It should not be politics-based at all. Yeah. Just like Julie just said, it has nothing to do with really red or blue. I mean, it's written, it's done, and uh, we just need somebody in there that's going to follow it and do the things that are properly justice-based, evidence-based, like you just said. Yeah. So, It is interesting that it tends to break down along the two party lines, though, because, and Julie, you, you mentioned these, uh, they've become buzzwords now. So one of them is common sense, and the other one was tough on crime versus soft on crime. Um, oh, and that, that tends to break down along the Democrat-Republican split. Republicans tend to be harder on crime. Democrats have gotten softer on crime, generally speaking. And then, uh, so common sense reform has been more the mantra of the Democratic Party. So I'd like to ask a follow-up question. A lot of people, when they hear uh, we're going to be softer on crime, immediately, and, and my mind also goes to this, I think more like the California DAs, the New York DAs, which tend to just not prosecute actual crime like murder, gang violence, etc. What what would your how would you characterize the reform you would like to go after so that it doesn't just get lumped into ah she's not going to go after any criminals. Oh yeah. I mean and we've made uh it's super clear what what our policy uh positions are. But I mean a few things. First, I say all of this because we literally have the architect of mass incarceration in the White House right now. Mm. So as I'm out there talking to voters, there very much is a distinction between, um, you know, who's in the White House and what it means to be a reform minded county attorney. But I want to just highlight for a second what a lie tough on crime has been, because what the tough on crime mantra is, is let's lock away everyone. Let's throw away the key. Let's be indiscriminate. Let's push for the toughest sentences we can under the law. And I want the public to realize all of that is is what they can do for, to a person after something's happened. And I think that's the wrong way to look at public safety because what we know about mass incarceration and, and folks who in, engage in this like tough on crime mantra is locking something somebody up after an event has happened largely does not impact deterrence and it doesn't impact their rehabilitation. What it does do is invest a ton of money into someone in a way that isn't going to help them become a productive member of society ever again. And that's why Arizona prisons have such a high recidivism rate. Mm. So I think the real way to look at this is like, what can we do to get at the root cause of criminality in our, mm. in our society? And so much of that is driven by mental health issues and addiction issues. So, for example, there's a fellow right now named Michael Calhoun. He's one of the um, plaintiffs in the ACLU suit. And if you talk to Michael, what he will tell you is, hey, I am someone who is experiencing addiction. And you look at his rap sheet, it's the same. It's largely low-level, nonviolent possession offenses. But when he got caught selling years worth of drug to feed his addiction habit, the county attorney said the best and final offer you're going to get is nine and a half years in the Arizona Department of Corrections, uh, Rehabilitation and Reentry. 
And I, I, I very much take issue with that because Michael's not alone. This happens every single day in our courts. And what it really says is, hey, we're going to invest a quarter million dollars into Michael in a way that is not going to help him get a job when it, he gets out, in a way that's not going to help him remain housed, in a way that we know leads to about a 50% recidivism rate. And it's not going to make society any better. So what can we do to get at the root causes of violence and crime in our society? And let's front load it rather than just focusing on punishment at the back end, because we know that's not working. Hmm. Now, it's I haven't heard it put that way because you had mentioned deterrence. And I guess the driving factor behind high incarceration is this is a deterrence. And it seems like you're saying that that's not the case instead it punches them so what what would you propose as a, a better deterrence what what would you what would you change as an alternative deterrence then if, if not the the mass incarceration how could we do that better yeah um and and everything that i'm saying is backed up by literally 50 years of criminal justice studies we know that the um the communities that incarcerate the most um, end up having the highest recidivism rates and subsequently the highest crime rates so if we wanted to do better, here's what we'd do. We'd invest in specialty courts. I personally am a big fan of expanding the uh, Justice uh, Veterans Court in particular um, for felonies, because we what that does is when a, a justice-involved veteran comes into the criminal legal system and say they're unhoused or say they're lacking health care or say they're experiencing addiction or mental health, that provides wraparound services and then constant check-ins with that court to make sure that they're following through and they're being held accountable. But at the same time, they're uh, being of the services that are gonna help them not enter the criminal legal system again. And those, those systems work. We have them at the municipal level all around our county. But what we haven't been willing to do is extend it to felony and extend it to pre-adjudication. That means before somebody actually has the conviction on their record. So that's how we get around it. We, we engage in special uh, specialty treatment courts. We expand the eligibility for drug courts and mental health courts. And then we expand our diversion programs, which right now are um, have experienced a 33% uh, drop in who can actually participate in them. So fewer people are actually getting treatment in our criminal legal system versus before COVID, which would be shocking to us all. And then we actually get deflection programs because we have so many folks who are locked up on these low-level nonviolent charges, especially folks who are unsheltered, who will, for example, get picked up on a trespassing charge because they are unsheltered. And guess what? You and I, the taxpayers, are paying 250 bucks to book them into jail for the night, or $75 a night um, to, to shelter them. They're likely to be released on their own recognizance or on an exceptionally low bond. Um, and it's a system that just continues to, to lock up uh, for a very short time people who are unsheltered. Mm. And for that amount of money, if you had a deflection program that actually worked that was a connection to services and treatments, not only would it keep us safe, not only would it address um, issues in our unsheltered population, but it's going to save us a ton of money. And the jurisdictions that have already implemented this have seen that savings. Mm. Do you know um, off the top of your head, like what, um, how long it takes for someone to be processed in your particular county as far as like the time that they're arrested versus the time that they actually have their sentence hearing? Because I, I know that in general, the court systems can take quite a long time to actually process the people through even, and they can sit in prison being held even before they actually get their hearing. Yeah, that's a really great question. So um, l let me just walk you through what, what it's like for most low-level um, drug offenses, because yep. of course, like there's outliers, like what we just talked about on trespassing. There's outliers the other way, like being locked up for a murder charge. Okay. But for folks who, for example, enter the system, um, what what would typically happen is if they're held um, in in our jails um, because they either can't post bond or that there's um, no bond that's available to them. Uh, they have to be seen within a judge for an initial appearance within, the, within that first um, 10 days. And they're often filtered through our early disposition mm -hmm. courts. At those courts, they're given a plea offer that they can either accept or reject. Um, and they have, it's typically about 30 days to do that. But they get the bare minimum of discovery. They literally get the police report. They don't get body cams. They don't get lab results. They don't get DNA. They don't get any of that um, for, the, for those cases where they're an issue. Um, and if they don't plea, that they are going to have, the next offer is going to be substantially harsher. Mm. So that's um, one of the, the big mechanisms that we have in our courts to, to filter folks through. So it's 10 days for folks who are uh, currently being held, 20 days for folks who are out of custody. 
And that's kind of the conveyor belt of justice in our county. And it's one of the reasons that our county is actually being sued right now, because what right is more fundamental, apart from maybe the right to vote, to a right to a jury trial? Mm. And that's, that's what we're asking folks to give up, your right to discovery, your right to a probable cause hearing, and your right to experience a jury trial, which is truly the only way that us citizens have to test the power of our government. So let, let me, I, I want to ask a follow-up on that real quick. So you're saying that would they, if they don't take the plea offer, they still don't get a jury trial or they kind of have to roll the dice beforehand? Yeah, they have to roll the dice. And that's what's okay. so scary because it's called, uh, it talked about as the trial tax. Hmm. Um, and Maricopa is one of those, it's, it's an outlier jurisdiction in that it actually threatens people when they don't take the plea offer. Really? That the next offer will be substantially harsher. Okay. And um, you'll hear this right there on the record every, with every single um, defendant who moves through these early disposition courts. So that's, I mean, that's one of the biggest issues because your prosecutor, instead of your judge, holds, holds way more power in the system. The prosecutor is the one who's deciding what the charges are because the legislature has created so many mandatory minimums and because the prosecutor can stack charges one on top of the other, stack enhancements. Um, it's to a situation where, for example, someone might be looking at 100 years if they went to trial and rolled the dice versus two years if they took the plea offer. And that's, in my view, coercive, and that's not what, what justice should look like. Hmm. So one of the biggest things that we can do um, as a reform-minded county attorney is being uh, transparent with the plea offers and making sure that they're not uh, that people are not charged with charges that are so stacked against them um, and then they're threatened with a trial tax if they test the government's proof. I think that's the, the greatest thing that we can do. And then making that data available to the public. Mm. So it's not just, hey, I'm Julie, you should trust me. It's, hey, I want to earn your trust. And you can actually see in real time what your criminal legal system is doing and how we're handling these cases. Um, not a single DA in the country does that, by the way. Wow. Not a single one. Mm. Even your reform-minded California DAs. Wow. Not grief. Well, I mean, just look, my first plea was three and a half, right? And then 10 to 15, if I would decide to go to trial. And just like in, you know, I had spoken to you prior and it was mentioned in a, a writing I did um, that you shouldn't have to have a powerful politician behind you or multiple. And, and you know, by the luck of the draw, an advocate such as yourself and a couple of others to get through a crazy a crazy, I don't want to say charge, the charge was real, but a crazy sentence attached to that charge four years later, you know, not everybody's going to have that platform that I have, but there are more people such as myself who are, are recovered, recovering and doing well and still being charged with these outrageous um, years in prison. It, it, it makes no sense when these can be out here make a difference. You know, they've got degrees, so they've got degrees, they're working in recovery. Um, it's just we're going to snatch them out of there, put them back in prison to where I'm, I guarantee if they're in there for four, three, four years, they're not going to come out the same person that they were when we put them in. It, there is no um, recovery within the walls there at prison. It, it, like I said in, a, in the last podcast, uh, our teacher for the DUI class fell asleep during the class you know I, I remember his dog lucy but that's <laughs> it like he talked about the dog and that was mm. when he was awake mm. so you know there is no help in the in there at all zero and why are we going to take people out who are making a difference and mm. put them back in or people who are just need help getting sober planting that seed you know that's really all it's going to take is someone like julie to get in there and get it going Julie, what are your what are your thoughts on the cash bonds? I know some have decided to try and do away with them. What do you think on those? Yeah, good question. So Arizona has kind of a different system than all of the others um, mm-hmm. in that our cash bond system is part of both the Constitution and the statutory law. Really? So unlike, yeah. Huh. Um, and it gives, this is like the one place where judges <laughs> actually retain discretion. So... I personally do not like cash bond because I don't think whether or not you're detained should have anything to do with how much money you have. I think it should have to do with how potentially dangerous you are and whether or not there's other ways for the community to uh, maintain its safety Mm -hmm. 
um, while you're while you're out in bonds. Keep in keep in mind too. I mean, these largely are folks who have not had other other convictions. So there's this there is the presumption of innocence. Right. Um, and that's what the the bond system should be. It should be based on dangerousness. Yep. Instead, we have this falsity, and we're actually uh, one of the only nations in the world that uses money as a surrogate for dangerousness. <laughs> and I mean that that just that's wild to me. So, what are my feelings on it? My feelings are the same as the feelings of like three different Arizona justice commissions that have originated from our courts hmm. that have said we need to rethink how we do cash bond in Arizona. But your hands, given the Constitution of Arizona, will kind of be tied with the cash bonds and stuff then, it sounds like, still. I mean, kind of. Are it? I have a commitment to not having the prosecutors asking for cash bond. Okay. But I don't... I, I have this thing where I try to be honest about what the county attorney can and cannot <laughs> Crazy do. Crazy concept. <laughs> I mean, everyone's like, oh, I promise you to the moon. And I'm like, I, I, can't, I can't promise to eliminate wealth-based detention. No. But I can promise to stop asking for it. Interesting. Yeah, I think managing expectations is is going to have a huge effect on how satisfied or unsatisfied people tend to be with their politicians or their representatives. Because when they promise the moon and then they can't achieve it, if, if I'm aware, okay, I voted for Julie and she set my expectations that she can't do this, but she can do this, right? She can't do away with the cash bonds, but she can promise that she won't ask for them. As long as you don't ask for them, they're like, all right, she kept her word to me. But if you were like, oh yeah, we'll get rid of that, then you don't. I'm like, well, Julie's out next time. Next time I can vote against her, I will, right? So... <laughs> Good, and you should, because I am knocking my butt off 60 hours a week running <laughs> for this job to come in there and not fix this very broken system. So, And it needs fixing. It needs fixing, for sure. <laughs> on, on a lot of levels, the more we talk about these things, any honestly, any topic, but especially criminal justice reform, the more nuanced I think people should realize that it is. You mentioned that you were running more uh, for, like, your, it sounded more like school board or, like, even more local what made you decide to run for this particular position? Yeah, you know, I started looking at what our priorities were in Arizona. And what I saw was a giant investment in private prisons and even in our public uh, prisons, private operators like our private healthcare, private commissary, private telecom. And I just think that that's a misprioritization if we're going to move Arizona forward and be, you know, on the cutting edge when it comes to attracting jobs and businesses and young families. So we need to get our priorities straight, coupled with the fact that the more that you learn about the criminal legal system and how it operates here versus how it even operated in a place like Cook County, Illinois, the more you realize how regressive and backwards this place has been. Mm. So that coupled with some of the corruption issues, coupled with the fact that the spirit and legacy of Sheriff Joe is still alive and well inside our criminal legal system. Mm. Those were all the, the big issues that drove me last time. <laughs> I'll be real honest though, this time is a whole new world because okay. when our county attorney resigned and the special election was called, I couldn't even place a phone call for an hour. Like my lines were blowing the heck up with people saying, hey, we still believe, do you? So I'm in it this time because the community showed up and said, we want to do this and we want to do this with you. And I said, great, then we will move together and we will win in, in 2022, even knowing that it's potentially a more difficult election cycle for someone who has uh, a D after their name. Yeah. Um, but the, the level of enthusiasm, I think Danny can tell you, we had uh, a volunteer party. Mm -hmm this teeny tiny little office, right? Like, and we expected like, yeah, 60 people will show up. We went through 200 shirts in 30 minutes. Wow. Uh, we got 4,300 signatures. It took us six months last time to do that. We got them in 21 hours. Wow. People are fed up. Mm. We're ready for a change here in Maricopa. <laughs> Okay, so that's, that's a great launching point then for what do you think uh, were some of the, the glaring issues of the way this office was run previously? Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest issue, uh, as I'm talking to voters, is that the way this office was run doesn't make them feel safe. Okay. So they don't feel safe when they learn about the ex exorbitant sentences for low-level drug offenses. Sure. They don't feel safe when they learn about handling of what, what I've kind of termed as crimes that matter, crimes that target women, children, and our elderly, and crimes of violence, how they're handled either. Mm. So just to give you an example, right now in the city of Phoenix, the sexual assault clearance rate is less than 9%. Hmm. 
which means of the brave people who come forward and most, if not many, do not on this issue, but say, hey, this happened to me and I wanna get law enforcement involved. In fewer than 9% of those cases, is there ever an arrest? Wow. And in fewer than 2% of those cases, is there ever a conviction? Mm. And, you know, growing up, raising, you know, two daughters and knowing that, you know, women in Maricopa have a one in three chance of being sexually assaulted during their lifetime. Wow. wow. Um, that that tells me that there's a misprioritization. Mm. Um, so I in talking to voters, they're they're very concerned about that. And they're also concerned about some of these sweetheart deals, too. Mm. So just watching, for example, that Charles Ryan, the former head of Lucy, who in a uh, tequila-fueled bender points a gun at an officer and gets, well, after three hours, and gets charged with a low-level felony. Well, first of all, um, <laughs> it's like he was in the throes of a mental health issue, and good. That is that is the compassion that we deserve um, here in our county. We deserve people who are able to de-escalate, who are uh, officers who are able to de-escalate, and a, and a criminal legal system is able to compensate for that. But holy mackerel, the fact that it's only reserved for political appointees. Right. If I would have done that, or let's say <laughs> a, a, a person of color would have done that, what would have happened? Come on, man. Let's just yeah. be real on this. I mean, the odds that they would have even survived that encounter with police is negligible. Mm. Um, and then the, the standard charging is a class two um, aggravated assault. Um, uh, as a dangerous offense, and the the offer would be ten years. Mm. As a flat. as a plea deal, it would be ten years. Ten years. Yeah, flat. Wow. Folks were charged mm. just the week before uh, for almost the same conduct <laughs> and got the class two versus wow. you know Chucky Ryan who picks up a class six and will probably end up with a misdemeanor. Wow. Undesignated, probably. Yep. Yep. Okay. Oh, it makes me so mad. <laughs> Again, right? like demonstrates the amount of discretion that the office here that you're running for possesses. Uh, what what else? Um, any other glaring issues that you would like to kind of shore up if and when? We'll go with when, when you get elected. <laughs> In no particular order, the dropping of 180 cases just because the prosecution forgot, some of which were domestic violence cases. Wait, they just so forgot to like file them? They literally forgot to file them and blew the statute of limitations. Oh my goodness, okay. Um, so again, folks uh, who are brave enough to be like, I want out of this relationship and yep. the county attorney's like, I don't care and forgot about them. Wow. We had a chief of staff who wore blackface and was able to maintain her job. We still have a absolutely non-diverse leadership team in the county, which should, well, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone because this county is home to some of the greatest racial disparities in policing and prosecution mm. in the nation. Um, we incarcerate over 300% uh, more black folks in in our uh, in the Maricopa County uh, criminal legal system mm -hmm. than are in the actual population, which is, is mind blowing. Latino folks in Arizona continue to face four hundred dollars more in fines, fees, and court costs than their white counterparts for the exact same offenses. Um, and then we also saw a, an epic scandal evolving out of out of this office with respect to the protesters, mm -hmm. um, the protest cases where a rogue uh, alleged rogue prosecutor. Uh, created a fake gang and charged people with offenses, one of whom would be doing a hundred and a half years behind bars and apparently didn't even look at the body cam footage to see if anything that was alleged was was actually true. So I, I view that as a continuation of a long line of scandals in this office, um, whether it be Andrew Thomas who got disbarred uh, for, for choosing to use this office for political purposes, um, or, you know, folks who stood in line with Joe Arpaio through some of the greatest offenses and lawsuits that we continue to pay for as taxpayers. Um, this is just an office that's been plagued with scandal for a very, very long time. Wow. Well, let's not forget about prosecutor, prosecutor Richard Serdan uh, in 2018 when he went up to the defendant's uh, attorney with the defendant sitting right there and said to his attorney, your client looks more and more like a Muslim terrorist every time I see him. That was Richard Sheridan, who happened what? to be my prosecutor. And uh, after my story was it published in the newspaper, I have court after that. And I went up to Mr. Sheridan and I asked, sir, can I, can we talk about, you know, a deferment or, you know, something? And he goes, well, if you wouldn't had 
posted your story, published your story in the newspaper, I would have given you a deferred sentence. Wow. And that's when I said, thank you. Thank you for saying that because I filed a report with the bar. I filed a report yeah. with the attorney and ended up getting uh, prosecutor, deputy attorney, Mark White, who is wow. to me an angel. Anyway, but that, wow. that is what it's about. He is still <laughs> prosecuting damn cases. Really? After saying Muslim terrorist, the dude's not even Middle Eastern. Like, you wow. know what I mean? It doesn't matter. It's just his ignorance and the ignorance of allowing someone like that to stay in office and prosecute mm. people of color. Are you out of your freaking mind? Mm. Yeah, and he's not alone. Like, that is, that's a culture issue, right, mm. Danny? Because... Like ABC 15, for example, aired a, uh, a whole series on judicial discretion about Judge Otis, who was overseeing capital trials, so death penalty trials. And while these trials were happening, she was passing memes, making fun of the litigants in front of her that were so mammothly unprofessional. Um, and she ended up getting reported. She maintained her judgeship and she was actively recruited by the county attorney's office and is now prosecuting death penalty cases for the county attorney's office, knowing about this professionalism issue. And oh, by the way, while she was still a judge she, and negotiating her salary with the county attorney's office, she was still ruling on motions brought by the prosecutor's office. It seems like a little conflict of interest. <laughs> just just I mean, a little. It's this close to bribery, y'all. Like and it and that's wow. that's what passes for justice in our county. And it's absolutely unacceptable. So this this sounds like it's it's extending well beyond the last election. And this is yours, if I understood correctly, um, this is your second time running for the office. You lost the first election to your predecessor, and now you're running and if you're elected, you'll hold it for the first time. What do you think changed? Because you mentioned all the community support. What what switch do you think flipped? And what, what do you have any idea what the straw that broke the camel's back was to where now you have such overwhelming support from the community? I mean, I, I'd say there's probably two things. Um, and I hate bragging, but here's here's what I have been told. So when I when I lost that election, I, I grieved for a little bit. Sure. And then I got involved with Arizona Normal. I taught myself how to code. I coded the expungement petition and tried to make uh, expungement as universal and automatic as it could possibly be to make sure that people got their rights back and were oh. able to get beyond a regressive cannabis law. So I stayed really involved with the community. And then when I left Normal, I worked, um, I'm still working in fact, for the Arizona Poor People's Campaign. And what they do is they've been running an eviction clinic that keeps people in their houses during this housing crisis. And I've literally fought off unethical landlords um, who've tried to steal my clients' homes and trailers. And I, so I think part of it was people saw that I did the unique thing. When most people lose, they disappear sure. with their tail between their legs and, and go off into private yep. life. And I said, no, that's not for me. I'm, I'm here for the community. Um, I think the other thing was that people started to wake up to what was happening in the prosecutor's office with these series of high profile scandals. Sure. Um, and, and watching the protester case in particular, and then knowing that that's the reason that the Arizona that the DOJ came into Arizona, mm -hmm. that we had to actually call on federal authorities to come fix our criminal legal system because the prosecutor had been giving a pass to so many people for so long. Wow. Um, so the conversations are really different now at the doors because they used to be your county attorneys, your prosecutor in chief for all 4.4 million uh, people in our county, and now. When I say I'm running for county attorney, they're like, oh, the DA's office that we have to pay all those settlements on. I'm like, yes, exactly. <laughs> Let me tell you how we're going to fix that. Okay. So what well, are, not, oh, go ahead, Danny. Let's not forget about her um, meeting with some people in the community for transitional living places for um, formerly incarcerated folks to get out of, to move into, get on their feet for a certain few months or whatever, uh, be tested, uh, drug tested, be mm -hmm. Uh, they're working, you know, their rooms are, are inspected and she's meeting with these people uh, who are putting on these transitional living places to make sure that it's exactly what the county attorney's office would need also. And they're, they're, she's pairing up with these folks, getting it the outside ready for when she takes office. Um, so it's going to be a smooth transition. Um, and that just excites me too. That's another reason when I say she walks the walk as she talks the talk, you know what I mean? It's just, okay. that is what she's doing. Mm. I've seen it. 
So, so. Ju Julie, what are what are two to three big issues for you and your campaign? Like, what what are you campaigning on other than the corruption reform? Yeah, other than the corruption reform, we're talking a lot about what actually makes a community safe. So we're talking about root causes and how your prosecutor can become involved in efforts that you know treat things at the front end rather than just being the punisher in chief, which we know doesn't work. We are talking about police violence and what it means to hold uh, those in power accountable. And that really matters in a jurisdiction like ours um, that is home to one of the most violent police forces in the country. And then one of the things that's really resonating at doors is, is about priorities, what it looks like to have a county attorney who is prioritizing issues around women, children, and our families, and not trying to uh, punish the addiction and mental illness mm. out of people. Wow. And that, man, that resonates I, in unexpected ways. I just have a powerful conversation at a door. Somebody who's willing to share their story with me about a bipolar daughter who got involved with the criminal legal system during an episode and how difficult it was for them to navigate on behalf of their adult daughter, but what it would look like to have a county attorney who gave a damn about mental health and was willing to treat that mental health as the public health crisis it is, and not an excuse to incarcerate someone for decades in a way that's not gonna make them any better and will make the community less safe overall and cost us money. Mm. I mean, I, I sat down and watched the Parsons trial from beginning to end, um, this uh, Danny's nodding. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Arizona prisons were sued over health care. And in a month long trial, we heard the most horrific things you can possibly imagine. We heard about wow. a person experiencing schizophrenia who would hit his head against the wall and was egged on by guards and pepper sprayed. We heard about a woman who broke her foot in the shower and was given a Band-Aid rather than a cast. So like breaking through on this bubble of like, wow. this doesn't make us safer. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not a bleeding heart in my humanity that necessarily leads me to the, some of these conclusions either. It's this is unfair and this makes us less safe. Yeah. Wow. So day one, you get into office, let's say, and then uh, you, you the first thing you what what's the first thing you do? What, what would if you had to pick one thing, what's the first thing you would do? Oh, near and dear to my heart. We are going through our records. We are finding every last person who has an expungible cannabis offense, and we are making it go away and making it universal <laughs> and automatic. You're welcome, quarter million Arizona residents who deserved relief and never got it. Mm. Yay. Now, you guys mentioned earlier, cannabis is now legal for recreational use in Arizona. Is that correct? It yep. Is. Okay. So, but there's, that didn't get like retroactively applied to people who were arrested in Arizona before that law was passed? Oh my God. Okay. So this is such a good question. No. So we really? still have, yes, we have 17 people who are incarcerated from Maricopa County originating offenses uh, for marijuana possession okay. still in our state. Seven, 17 folks there. We have two people in our state who are serving life sentences for cannabis. And then you say we life? have life sentences life l-i-f-e life sentences for cannabis wow and then we have a whole group of people who are eligible for uh, what's called an expungement so it's the idea of sealing your records yep. such that only you and your attorney ever know that that happened ever again and all 15 county attorneys and the ag had the ability to make it universal and automatic make it so that people didn't have to apply that the county attorney would just do it for you because the county attorney has all of those records sure. And not a single county attorney nor the AG did it. So as a result, that's how Normal got involved and how I coded all those petitions uh, for people. So because um, Arizona was one of the last states, the last state to have everything from residue to two pounds be considered a class six felony, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 uh, to a quarter million people who still have those arrests and convictions on their record. And it really matters because it makes it so they're not able to vote or, as I just learned in a case um, yesterday, I had a mama approach me for a kid who is now facing, oh, I think she said eight years, um, because he he had he was carrying a weapon, um, as he thought he was entitled to do, but his expungement, in fact, never happened from the county attorney's office. Oh. So because it was never expunged, he was never, um, uh, uh, his uh, weapon rights were never restored, so he couldn't possess a firearm. Uh -huh. So now we have misconduct involving weapons, and now we have somebody facing... Yeah, all of these years 
for something that shouldn't have been a crime in the first place. Wow. What a waste of resources. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. I have no words. Mm. All right. Well, we'll be back with our hot takes and final thoughts right after this. Okay. Starting off this kind of interlude that we have before we get into those hot takes remember that you can uh, help the show by liking and subscribing hit those notifications so that you know when we go live especially since our schedules are rather sporadic these days <laughs> as i'm in the process of uh you know moving unpacking starting a new job danny's starting a new job josh is starting a new version of grad school in the same spot marcelo's doing the like we're just kind of all over this <laughs> all over the place so Notifications will be your friend. And also remember that you can follow us on all of our social medias. Just follow at Between the Liars. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, let's see what else we have here. TikTok, technically, although we haven't been on there in quite some time. Uh, Julie, do you have any social medias people can go and follow you on if they're interested in keeping up with you? Oh, heck yes. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Julie Gunnigal, on Facebook at Gunnigal2022, and on Instagram at Julie Gunnigal. And we're launching a TikTok soon, but nice. truthfully, I am not cool enough or smart <laughs> enough. So I have retained professional youth intervention. There you go. Hey, knowing your limits is half the battle. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> good. Okay. Well, we will link all of that in the description below. And if you're listening to the podcast version, that will also be in the description of those. So we will get those so that it's just one easy click. I found that uh, for me... <laughs> Coming up with the willpower to track things down is half the battle, so I try to make it as easy as possible to retain <laughs> retain that. Okay, and remember, if you're interested in joining us before and after the show, we haven't been doing this for the last couple of weeks just because of how busy we've been. Just getting the show out has been a challenge, but you can uh, you can follow us on, uh, it's called Buy Me a Coffee. You can subscribe through there. You can also subscribe through uh, just like our, our link tree has all of those links uh, if you're interested in becoming like a patron through our Patreon. We have both of those. You can join us before and after just for the casual chats that, you know, never, never get aired. So if you're interested, check the description for that. And now we're going to go to the hot takes. All right, Danny, I think you're kicking us off All here. Right. Yep, I am. Hey, I just wanted to reiterate the importance of, um, County attorney and sheriff's office is not a red or blue fight. It's about the person who's going to be taking the office. And for me, the staunch Republican person that I am, in order to change my votes, because I'm going to vote for Julie Gunnigal, person over party, for me, when it comes to this, this is why I've changed my voting uh, to nonspecific, uh, independent, whatever, so I can vote for this woman. Um, and for me to say that that's, that's huge. She stands for everything I believe in 95%. We mesh and I just adore this woman. I've seen her work. Uh, I've watched her over the last two years and I gotta tell you, I want to grow up to be just like her, even though I'm probably older than her. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I gotta say, man. It's just, we gotta read between the lines here. We're yeah. being divided and, um, we have to have the cognitive ability to stop, think, ground ourselves, take ourselves out of each side and realize really what the hell's going on. What do we want for our community? What do we want for our people? What do we want for our family? Listen, again, the criminal justice system touches either side. It doesn't matter if you're red or blue. It bleeds on everyone. Yep. So remember that about your kids who may come in to the criminal justice system. Would you want somebody former coming in, sending them 10 to 15 years? Or do you want somebody like Julie Gunnigal coming in and giving them a chance to succeed? Mm. You tell me, I mean, it bleeds on everyone, <laughs> red or blue. All right, my hot take is I feel left out because I'm the only one sitting here without a shirt supporting Julie Gunnigal. So if you ship to Murray, Kentucky, I'll give you my address after the show. I'll ship you one, Ryan. <laughs> there we go, I got you. there we go. Uh, I guess my, my <laughs> in seriousness, my first hot take will be that uh, I, 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 it's refreshing to see someone who is very well informed and who is also community based. I think, you know, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I'm incredibly distrusting of the government and politicians. Politicians make up the government for some reason. There's this disconnect in people's mind. They're like, oh, yeah, I don't like politicians, but, you know, give the government power. So it's very refreshing to see someone 
who is knocking on doors, not just during campaigns, but I don't know how long it is between elections, but however long that was, you were serving the community instead of just resurfacing every, you know, two, four, six years, like, hey, vote for me now. And the fact that, you know, you had so many people who were like, we want you to run and we'll support you in this is really a testament to that. So that's very refreshing and exciting to see. Uh, my second hot take here is going to be that I think there's... I don't know, the more that I learn about a lot of these topics, the more I realize that I don't know as much about them, right? And criminal justice reform is one that uh, there's there's a lot that is very nuanced in the conversation, a lot that's unknown. There's a lot to discuss. It's very nice to see someone like Julie come in and be very well informed, know what's going on, know what the community wants. And, you know, even even in the districts where I'm like, you know what, I wouldn't vote for this person in California. If they're put in there by the people and they're doing what the people want, that has to be priority one. And that's why we're broken down by counties and states, right? Is because you need the, the politicians or the public servants who are going to serve the community. And Julie seems to be embodying that, right? Like the district wants you. That's why they're supporting you. So that'll be, be my last hot take. Well, my hot take is I am delighted to be here. You know, I adore Danny and I'm so on a daily friggin' basis inspired by her and her story. And um, I, it's my pleasure to join you. And, and Ryan, I'm glad we were able to have this, this conversation. This conversation, though, could literally be an entire undergraduate class. Yeah. All of the things that have happened in the criminal legal system that, that need reforming. So, yeah, I mean, my, I guess my hot take is the same. Y'all, community matters. Arizona justice issues deserve Arizona solutions, and they gotta start listening to the people who are most directly impacted because the people who are closest to the problem are the people who are closest to the solution and that's how i'm running my life that is how i'm running my campaign that is how i'm going to run the third largest prosecutor's office in the entire nation mm. yes <laughs> and when is the election for the arizona state Yes. Okay. So there's two elections. First, we have our primary ballots that uh, most people in Arizona vote by mail. 90% of us do. Okay. They arrived in wow. mailboxes yesterday. Um, and those will be counted on August 2nd. Okay. So after that is the general election and we'll be on that general election ballot. So with any amount of luck and perseverance on November 8th, we'll find out whether or not we're going to see a sea change in the county attorney's office for the first time in 42 years. Mm. Well, I, I can't vote for you because I don't live in the county, but I do wish you the absolute best, and uh, we'll have to have you back on at some point um, for whatever whatever topic you want. I mean, we're pretty pretty open, but thank you, Julie, so much for joining us. We'll link all of her socials below. Be sure to follow up with her, and if you're in Arizona, get out and vote, even if you're not going to vote for Julie. like I, I think you should vote for Julie, but if you're even if you're not, voting is going to be important, so... All right, remember you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on our social medias to stay updated so that when we do a sporadic meeting like this, you can catch us live. And if you enjoy this show, we do appreciate you liking, subscribing, and also giving us a five-star review to help us beat that algorithm. I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Share us with your friends. Go vote because it's important. We'll catch you back here next week. Goodbye for now.